you have to say to us today. I praise you, Lord, as we've come to you in worship. We've lifted our hearts to you. Now prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as you're seated, I'm going to release the young ones to go off to Children's Church. So grateful to be able to do that, so that they can hear the word of God presented to them. And as they do that, today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles, chapter 34. 2 Chronicles 34. And uh, as you have your copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn there. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the chairs near you or around you. And if someone's having trouble next to you finding where that is, help them out. And then I'm going to ask you to take one of your inserts and put that in 2 Kings 23. 2 Kings 23, because we're going to go back and forth a little bit today, and I want you to see what, uh, what God has to say there. And as you're finding that, I need to uh, let you know that if you follow along regularly, the Digging Deeper each week, you'll know that this summer we've been following along in the summer reading plan, and somehow I got a day off. And so what you're going to be told to read is not what the summer plan tells you to read. So as you look at that, don't get frustrated. Rather, just remember to pray for me because I'm fallible. And we will be really excited to see how God in his sovereign wisdom has designed that that's supposed to be used this week. So, um, day off, that's fine. There's my confession. Oh, that feels good. Second Chronicles 34 reveals to us this amazing young King Uzziah and, and who he is. And, and this man, as you look here in the first couple of verses, it says he was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And then this incredible verse two, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Amazing truth of, of who he was doing right in God's eyes. And as we consider that today and we think about that, we, can, we think about our theme, drawing near to God, and we're talking about doing what is right in his eyes. And on the front of your worship folder, it says each of us is born with a desire to do right. And I believe that's true. Each one of us is born with a desire to do right. Probably nobody woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to do the wrong thing all day today. Okay. Well, there were days, but no. So, but when we think of that, it's fascinating. As God laid that on my heart, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, and, and Karen brought me a copy of the USA Today uh, on one of the pages. And she said, this looks like an interesting article. You can be good without God. Well, that's fascinating. I thought I'd like to read that. And, and so I, I did, and, and I'll not read the whole thing to you, but I thought I'd read a part of it to you and see what you think of this. You can be good without God, remember. So the author asks this question. Should we be afraid that a morality based on our genes and our brains is somehow inferior to one handed down from above? Well, not at all. In fact, it's far better. Fascinating article. It's far better because sec secular morality has a flexibility and a responsiveness to social change that no God-given morality could ever have. Well, all right. 
Secular morality is what pushes religion to improve its own dogma on issues such as slavery and the treatment of women. Secular morality is what prevents ethically irrelevant matters, what we eat, read, wear, when we work, or whom we have sex with, from being grouped with matters of genuine moral concern, like rape and child abuse. And, and really, isn't it better to be moral because you've worked out for yourself in conjunction with your group the right thing to do rather than because you want to propitiate a God or avoid punishment in the hereafter? Would somebody please say no? No. Thank you. A fascinating article, but as I've stopped to really think about this, in view of Josiah and the fact that he had left a legacy of doing what was right in God's eyes, how has this impacted us, this thought process? Because listen, naturally, in your natural self, your unredeemed person, this is what you believe, is that you can be good without God. But God says something quite different. That's what we're going to look at today. It becomes an exciting thing to look at. Second Chronicles 34, we're going to look at this idea. You see the big idea there? Leave a legacy of doing right in God's eyes. We're going to see that that requires some real intentionality on our part. And we're going to see as we look at the life of Josiah that, that there's five different steps that he took. Now, I don't mean to say that these are exhaustive. There could be many more steps than this, but these are five steps that I saw he took as I looked at this passage. I don't necessarily think we need to do them in this order either, but they're the order that they're presented for us here. We want to see what were these steps that, that Josiah took because he lived a life like no other king of Israel. Verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And that's where we see the first step. It's there in your notes. Seek God. Seek God. Stay on a straight path. Because you see, he, he, he is the only king, and it's interesting. As you've read along with us this, this summer, and you've read about the different kings, and maybe you haven't, but maybe you've heard about them before, and each one of the kings, God gives a, a little snippet. Like here, he says that, that Josiah did what was right in God's eyes. And then some of the kings, they, he says, he tried really hard, or he did the best he could, or he did what he wanted, or, you know, or he, he almost did good. No, 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 no. It's either he did right in God's eyes, or he did evil. He did not do what was right in God's eyes. That, that's how God evaluated the kings. Did right, didn't do right. And you say, that's awfully black and white. Uh-huh. See, in God's eyes, it's black and white. You either do right in his eyes, or you don't do right in his eyes. And Josiah did this in an amazing way. It says here, and he's the only man in all of Scripture, as far as I can tell, that it says, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Isn't that amazing? He didn't turn aside to the right or to the left. In Isaiah chapter 30, Isaiah chapter 30, there's a, a fascinating little verse there. I have a little snippet of it there in your notes, but I'll just read it in its fullness here. Actually, in verse 19, <clears throat> Isaiah says this, 
O people of Zion, you who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he, God, how gracious God will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. And then this verse. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. See, Josiah had learned this unbelievable secret of not moving to the right or to the left. And I wonder if it was that voice behind him saying, no, 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 walk in this way. And he responded to that. One of the band members afterwards came up to me and said, after the first service, he said, it's like the GPS. And, and it's true. Have you, you don't, you have the GPS and do you leave the voice on? And you veer to the right and it says recalculating. Okay? Because the destination's been set. And in theory, the GPS is going to get you there. Okay? And as you listen to that voice and you veer off, it'll bring you back to that. Now, every analogy breaks down. We understand that. And you know, if you wander off the path, it'll get you back on the path it belongs on. But ideally, it's designed to keep you on the path, and that's what God is. Seeking God. And listen, that doesn't come naturally. Romans tells us there's no one who seeks after God. It is not natural to seek after God. That's something supernatural. That God reveals himself and draws you to himself. He reveals himself to you in nature and everything else and draws you to himself and causes you to begin seeking him. But if you're going to leave a legacy of doing what's right in God's eyes, then you need to seek God. It's important to notice that God in Isaiah 45, 19 says, I declare what is right. God declares what is right. And sometimes we can think, like, like our, our author friend here, what right does God have to do that? It can't make sense. I've got to be able to figure those things out for myself. But God declares what is right. And remember that each of those things that God's declaring what is right are things that are designed to keep you in his steps and keep you apart from the things that would hurt you. Each one of those things. He declares what's right. So, the first question. In what ways am I seeking God for what is right? Am I just beginning? Or is it a passionate, intentional search? In Jeremiah, God says, you will, you will find me when you seek me. If you seek me with all your heart, are you on a passionate and intentional search for God? Because if we're going to leave a legacy of doing right in God's eyes, that's step one. The next step, do you see it here? Rid yourself of false idols or trust points and get to the root, okay? And, you know, it's interesting. I typed in trust points and my word processor said that's not a word, so I hit add to dictionary. Now it is. It's great the way that works. Um, and so, trust points. And what do I mean by that? Well, listen, idols are those things that you place your trust in other than God. They're the, the points of trust in your life. What are those things? And so, as we think of that, we look at Josiah and his example here. It's fascinating. Let's look at it. It's in, in 34. We're going to read 3b through 7. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah poles, carved idols, cast images. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down, 
He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them. He smashed the Asherah poles, the idols, the images. These he broke into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and the ruins all around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut them to pieces, all the incense altars throughout Israel, and then he went back to Jerusalem. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Doug talked about Josiah's great-grandfather, Hezekiah, and he talked about how Hezekiah invited Israel to come. Here we see that Josiah went into Israel and, and took down those high places. Can you go back to 2 Kings now, chapter 23? 2 Kings 23, you see the typo in your notes and you'll fix that. Verse 6, he took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. We need to pause there for a moment. We need to really think about what this says. He took the Asherah Asher pole from the temple of the Lord. Now, you remember the temple of the Lord. It was the temple that was built by Solomon, and, and it was dedicated to God. It was the place where God chose to dwell among men. His glory came and dwelt in the temple. And into that temple, they brought an Asherah pole. Oh, what is that? Okay, well, listen, here's the thing. The high places, whenever you see those words high places, what these are, these are the places in the land of Canaan where the Canaanites used to worship their false gods. And they were the high places, and, and they were the places where altars were built and, and temples were built, and they were the places that they worshiped. You'll remember that when God brought the, the people into the promised land, he said, now rid the, rid the promised land of all these places. Get all these places out of here. Any place where they trusted false gods, get rid of those things, those false trust points, so that you're not tempted to go there. Well, Israel didn't get rid of all of them. And they left quite a few of them. And that plagued them for their whole time they were there. And on those places, one of the gods that they worshipped was, was Asherah. And her kids, Moloch and Baal. And they worshipped them there. So what's happened here is that the Israelites have actually, not only have they not eliminated the high places, they've actually brought into the temple of God, the place set apart, consecrated for God, they've brought in a pole to this detestable and vile goddess and set it up there and worshipped her in the temple of God. Fortunately, we see that Josiah said, this can't be here, and he took it out. And then he tore down the quarters, I'm in verse 7 of, of 2 Kings 23, he tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes which were in the temple of the Lord where women did weaving for Asherah. How does that happen? How do, we, how, do, how do they allow that to take place in the temple of God? But to see that Josiah, in leaving the legacy of doing right in God's eyes, is ridding the temple of these things. And then we see that he desecrated Topeth, which was in the valley, I'm sorry, verse 10 of chapter 23. So no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Molech. Is it possible? Is it possible that this group of people who have been called by God 
to stick out as people who worship him and him alone, a God who requires nothing of this sort of sacrifice, is it possible that they could actually take a child and burn that child to death? Is it possible that the, that the nation could stand for that to be happening? desecrated that that place and then it goes on in verse 13 he desecrated the high places the ones that Solomon had built for the vile goddess of the Sidonians for the vile god of Moab and for Moloch the detestable god of the people of Ammon he smashed the sacred stones he cut down the Asherah poles and covered the sites with human bones See, this goes all the way back to the places where Solomon Placed, placed worship areas. He's going back. He's getting to the root of this. He's going all the way back into the roots of the false idols, not just the one he's tempted to, not just the places he's tempted to go. He's going back to the roots, all the way back to the beginning and digging all these things out. It's so important to see that. Then Josiah, verse 16. Let's go, let's go 15. Even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who had caused Israel to sin. Even that altar and high place he demolished. That goes back a ways. That's 300 years. That, that place. He ground it to powder, burned the Asherah pole also. And he looked around, and he saw the tombs that were there on the hillside. And he had the bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by the man of God who foretold these things. Got to turn back to 1 Kings 13. 1 Kings 13. Don't you love the word of God? Isn't it so exciting? We are so blessed to have this. 1 Kings 13. This is one, this is one, listen. You'll remember 1 Kings 11, 12, 13, we're talking about Jeroboam. And you know that Jeroboam was offered the kingdom of David by God. Jeroboam was told, you can have, I will, I will give you the kingdom of David if you'll only follow my command. And Jeroboam said, I want the kingdom of David, but I don't want to follow your command, so I'm just going to take it, okay? It didn't work out so good for him. And so what happened here, chapter 13, verse 2, a son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. 300 years later, Josiah does this. Josiah is doing what is right in God's eyes, fulfilling prophecy from 300 years earlier. Got rid of the root of it. So what does that mean for us? That's our interpretation. What's the application? How do we apply this to us? In a way, you see that the Israelites entering the land of Canaan, the promised land of rest for them, is the same as us once we trust Christ as our Savior, moving into that promised land of rest for us as we live after the cross of Christ. And as we do that, what he says is when you trust me as Savior, 
You need to rid yourself of all those places where you used to run to worship. All those places in your life where you used to go to worship, where you used to put your trust. Because in me and me alone, Jesus says, can you trust? I'm the only place. I'm the only one that you can trust in. And so what are those places in your life where you've gone for worship or for trust or for comfort? What are those places that you go? Familiar places. Where do you place your trust apart from God? If I were to, if you're a parent, and I were to ask your kids, kids, tell me, your dad, what's the most important thing in your dad's life? What would your kids say? If I asked your kids, what has your dad taught you should be the most important thing in your life? What would they say? Because you see, those things that I trust in are the most important things in my life. So what are those for you? Are any of them false places of trust? And if they are, how can you work along with God to help rid yourself of those. Because listen, listen, here, why is this so important? Because anything, anything at all that you worship other than God will hurt you. You see that? Yes, that's, that's big. That's why God so desperately longs to be worshiped alone. Because worship of God will not harm you. But anything you worship other than that will. So you need to rid yourself of those things, those places where you go. And we each know what those are in our life. And we have to get back to the roots of them. Sacrificing children. Ooh, what are the ways we do that? What... What things, what are the high places that have been passed on to me and how can I keep from passing that on to others? Ask yourself those questions and then begin to rid yourself because listen, we want to leave a legacy of doing what's right in God's eyes. That's what we're looking at today. We're going to seek God. We're going to rid ourselves of these false idols and then, you see, we're going to repair the proper place of worship. Repair the proper place of worship. Back into Second Chronicles 34. We're looking at verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and temple, he sent some people in there to repair the temple of the Lord his God. I love that. See, God was Josiah's Lord. The Lord his God. You circle something in your Bible. I always circle when I see that because it reminds me, is the Lord my God? He is. He's my God. Can you say that? Can you say that Jesus is your Savior? That the Lord is your God? He repaired the temple of the Lord his God. Down into verse 11, it talks about the money that was given to the carpenters and the builders to purchase dressed stone and timbers for joists and beams for the buildings that the king of Judah had allowed to fall into ruin. So he came in and and he repaired the temple of the Lord. And it's kind of like this, you know, 
here's this, this Asherah pole, and they need to get this into the temple of the Lord, and boy, it'll look really good over in that corner, and I know that's where, you know, the, the, the table of the presence was. Yeah, you know what, let's just hack that beam out of there and shove this thing in here, all right? And so these beams get run down, the stones get, and, and the, the temple is in a state of disrepair. Josiah says, this can't be. We need to repair this place of worship because this is where the glory of God dwells among us, okay? And so he goes in and he works on repairing the temple. Now, how does that apply to us today? Because I thought about that and I prayed about that. In what ways does your heart need to be repaired? How has your heart been wounded? Because listen, we worship God from our heart. We worship God from from the core of who we are. And listen, each one of us have ways that our hearts have been wounded. There's been damage that's come to our heart. And part of that's come uh, with really nothing to do with us. But some of that stuff is stuff we've invited into our lives. False gods that we've held on to. False gods that we've worshipped. High places that we've gone. And, and maybe we've removed those things from our lives, but there's some repair that's needed because the heart has been wounded. Are there places like that for you? Places where things that you've trusted in, that were not trustworthy, have left a scar, a mark, a beam that was split, a stone that was cracked. Is that, is that temple, that heart, does it need repair? One author I read talks about how many times we run back to the things that have wounded us looking for those things to bring healing. And all they do is wound us over and over and over again. So how do we do this? How do we rebuild the temple? How do we repair the temple? And Jesus, by his, by his wounds you're healed. You see that? Caleb Bond had a favorite question that he would ask people. Have you invited Jesus into your heart? Is Jesus in your heart? A little booklet called My Heart Christ's Home where I've invited Christ into my heart and I've actually given him the deed of my heart so that he can go through and repair every one of those areas that have been wounded by things I've run to that I shouldn't have. Listen, you don't have to be defined by the things that have defeated you. And your tomorrows do not have to be repeats of your yesterdays. You can repair the proper place of worship. Jesus longs to come in and do that. And it's important if you're going to leave a legacy of doing right in God's eyes, you have to do that from a healthy place. Bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, all of those things leave marks. Get rid of them. 
Hold on to the truth of God. So in what ways do I need to repair that proper place of worship in my life? He's longing to take from us a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, a soft heart. The legacy of doing right, seek God, rid yourself of false idols, repair the proper place of worship. Next, we're going to see we need to respond to the word. Respond to the word. 34, verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law that the Lord had given through Moses. Hey, they found the book of the law. Isn't that great? How do you lose such a thing? Wouldn't you think that would be one of these things like, oh, this is the book of the law of the Lord, we better hold on to this. You know, it's like during one of the remodels, it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of misplaced that, or what? You know, how do you lose the book of the law of the Lord? And I thought about that. And I remember all the times that I, I went through in my life as a kid where Dad would be out in the car waiting to go to church and I'd be running around the house trying to find my Bible. Because I hadn't seen it since the Sunday before. And odds were pretty good it was even at church anyway because I probably forgot to bring it home. And truth be told, there were a lot of my adult years that were like that too. Have you found the book of the law of the Lord? Have you found the word of God? See, when, when, when Josiah heard the words, verse 19, he tore his robes. He tore his robes. He responded to the word as it was read to him. And I, I find this fascinating because, listen, he's been doing pretty good. Really, when you think about it, he's been seeking God. He's gotten rid of all these idle places, all these high places of worship, places that have been there like forever. And, and he's repairing the temple, and he hears the law of the Lord, and he repents. Of what? Do you know that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? I love that. Romans 2. See, in God's kindness, he's left us the word of God. He's brought us the word of God so that we can be led to repentance. The word of God requires a response. And and so I, I need to ask you, do you know what the word of God says or do you think you know what the word of God says? Do you know the word of God or do you know about the word of God? Those are some tough questions. What place does the word of God have in your life? Are you allowing the word of God to guide you? Are you allowing the word of God to reveal some of those things you're not doing, you're doing that are not right? Or things that you're not doing that are right? And... See, we can think Josiah was doing a pretty good job and that there was nothing he needed to repent of. But when we put that against God's, God's commands and demands and expectations, again, all because he knows that those things won't hurt us, we can find ourselves falling short. And if we're going to do right in his eyes, we have to be able to respond in repentance to those things 
we've done that are wrong or things that we're not doing that are right. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to move into all that God has for us. There's a casting crown um, song that says, what if the family turned to Jesus and stopped asking Oprah what to do? How do you base your decisions at home? How do, you, how do you make your determination of what you should do or what you shouldn't do? How do you decide what school to send your kids to? How do you decide what you should spend your money on? How do you decide where you should go on vacation? How do you decide, how do you decide those things? Is it according to God's word that's guiding your life? Or is God's word lost to you somehow, some way? Could I suggest to you that it's this or this that guides your decision? Okay, it's either what feels right, what seems right, or it's what God has declared that's right. So what do you spend more time studying and learning? Yeah, you're saying, man, you're making me feel guilty. No, God is. Okay? If that's the case, me too. Listen, do I really know what the Word of God says? And do I really listen to it? Because when I start to go off to the right, God's Word is that voice that says, Chuck, back to the left. I'm off to the left. Chuck, back to the right. And I have an opportunity to listen to that voice or I have an opportunity to ignore that voice. And that's the response piece. That's the implementation. The truth is, each time we come here, each time we open God's word, we have an opportunity to go away changed because of these ancient words. We have an opportunity to go away from here much different than how we came in. Or, we have the opportunity to go away exactly the same. Yes, I heard the word. Yeah, it applied to me. I'm not so interested in implementing it, though. I'm not interested in responding to it. I'd like to stay where I am. I'd like to work it out for myself in conjunction with my group what the right thing is to do. I have that opportunity, and it's that clear. And and the way that I choose those things and the way that I make those decisions determine what my legacy is. It determines what your legacy is. So, if we're going to leave a legacy of doing what's right in God's eyes, it requires intentionality. I think you're starting to see that, right? Okay, we need to seek God. We need to rid ourselves of false idols. We need to repair the proper place of worship. We need to respond to the word. One more. We need to renew our covenant. Renew your covenant. It's there in verse 31. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord. The covenant to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all of his heart, all of his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. Isn't this great? He renews his covenant. Once the word is read, once he repents, once he gets to all of this, I'm going to renew this covenant. It's an oath-bound promise. And this covenant is the covenant of Moses. This is, is that covenant. And I would imagine the, the covenant that God made with David as well. He renewed this covenant. 
I will follow you with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my strength. Do you remember when they came up to Jesus? What's the greatest commandment, they said? Remember what, remember what Jesus said? Anybody remember? Exactly. Jesus said, <laughs> And so we've all been doing ever since. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Right? It hasn't changed. Listen, new covenant, we're under the covenant of grace, but listen, same God. Amen? And he calls us to do what's right in his eyes. Because listen, you remember, the nation of Israel was called to be a nation that would stick out. They were called to be a nation that would be much different than any other nation because this nation understood who God was. And it wasn't a God who they were doing good for so he wouldn't be mad at them. It was, it was a nation of people who did good because they were in a love affair with a God who loved them and who dwelt with them. See, that's us. Under this covenant of grace, that's us. We're the church. And listen, our doing right is not to avert the wrath of God because Jesus did that on the cross, propitiated, averted God's wrath. We respond in doing good and doing right in God's eyes because of our response to the love affair that we're in with him as he has indwelled us and given us the power to do that because that's the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace is that we can be rescued from our sin, but more than that, in addition to that, it's the unbelievable truth that the strength of God is given to me to be able to do all that he has laid out for me to do and to keep myself from doing the things that would harm me. In response to his love, the covenant of grace. So do I need to renew that covenant in any way? Take up your cross daily. Die daily to myself, to my self-desires, because everything my self-desires hurts me. Do you believe that's true? Am I ready to follow the Lord and keep his commands with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my strength? What is my legacy? What is my legacy? What's your legacy? It's not too soon to start working on your legacy. We've got some two-year-olds here not too soon to start working on your legacy. Uh, maybe you're not two. Maybe you're a few decades older than two. It's not too late to work on your legacy. Are you doing what's right in God's eyes? Uh, not to win an award, but in response to who he is in your life. Josiah's legacy is listed for us here. 2 Kings 23, 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, 
all his soul, all his strength, in accordance with all the law of Moses. Not one king. He is the one. What's your legacy? God, for each one of us, I pray that you'd help us ask that question. What is the legacy that we leave? Are we doing right in your eyes, dear Father? Oh, God, are we seeking you? Are we ridding ourselves of the things that would draw us away from you? Are we rebuilding that proper place of worship? Are we responding to your word? Do we love your word? Are we renewing our covenant? Are we seeking you for what is right? Or are we determining that for ourselves? God, for each of us, let us ask that question and help us go away from here different today, changed because of your word in our lives, implementing, responding to what we've heard. God, I pray for the author of this article and for all of those that he represents. I pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself to him, that somehow, someway, you would bring someone into his life who could speak the truth, that you do declare what is right for him so that he can move out of the bondage that he's in. God, there may be someone here today who needs to know that. Reveal yourself to them. There may be somebody we know who's held in this same kind of bondage. God, help us to leave a legacy that draws people to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.